in, she was the delivery woman. She came in with a cart full of packages. She was old school. Allison was remembering the time her father took her and her brothers to New York City. And they stayed in a borrowed Greenwich Village apartment. During this visit, they went to a luncheonette where she encounters this delivery woman. And she begins to understand her own embryonic sexuality. I know you. A little over a week ago, my niece gave birth to a handsome baby boy, Jeremiah Levi. As we welcomed Jeremiah into the world, I saw the hopes and expectations of and for his life in the eyes of his mother, and of his father, and his grandparents, and his great-grandparents. I saw it in the eyes of his aunts and his uncles, and quite honestly, I saw it within myself. We all wanted the best for him. I don't think we can help it. We project our dreams onto our kids because we do want the best for them, at least our conjecture of what would be the best for them. We want them to grow up and enjoy a better standard of living, a home, children of their own, and someone to love who loves them as much as we do. We want them to go to college and get at least one degree so that they can ensure their financial future. And we pray, if we're honest, that they are cisgender heterosexuals so that the world will be kind to them. But I wonder if when we began projecting onto our children our beliefs about who they should be and how they should live their lives and our expectations for them, are we really coveting their lives as a do-over for our own? Are we beginning the slow process of murdering the person whom God has created them to be? Do we begin stealing the future they may want for themselves? Are we playing fair when we do it? And all I need to know, I learned in kindergarten, Robert Fulgham shares a story about a boy named Donnie. Donnie's somewhere in the six to eight-year-old range, and he's deaf. Robert encounters Donnie when Donnie knocks on Robert's door. Donnie hands him a slip of paper that has handwritten on it, My name is Donnie. I will rake your leaves. One dollar per yard. I'm deaf. You can write me. I can read. I rake good. Robert writes, there are times when the simplest of events call all of one's existential motives into question. He says, what would I do if he weren't deaf? What would I do to him if I said no? What 
Would it do to him if I said yes? Would there be any true difference? And as Robert is pondering these questions, Donnie begins to turn to walk away. You can sense that he has been rejected a time or two because of his unique capabilities. What dreams for himself have others killed because of their projections on him about what he can and cannot accomplish? And they have absolutely no idea about who he is or his capabilities. He's been ignored because others dis-ease because of his deafness, missing all that he is capable of doing and being. Robert stops him before he leaves and he hires him. Robert writes, because my yard is so big, I think I shall give you two dollars to rake. Donnie replies, with a smile. Robert gave him the three dollars. They had a contract. As Robert silently watched Donnie rake the leaves into a large pile as he had asked him, the evening came and it was starting to get dark and Donnie said that he had to go home before it got too late. But he told Robert, I will be back tomorrow. Robert writes, at my age, I am cynical. I wonder if he will return. You see, Robert had already paid him the $3. But come morning, he looked out the window, and there was Donnie raking the last of the yard. He finishes raking it up, and he even picks up leaves that had fallen overnight in the areas that he had previously raked. He, he, Donnie took pride in his work. And as he leaves, Robert watches him go. Robert smiles at Donnie's grace. I know you. As their children grow and they begin to become who they are within themselves, as they begin to explore expressing how they know themselves to be through their dress and their friends and their hairstyles, I wonder if we steal their true identities and murder their personalities as we ask them to conform. Do we steal their giftedness in order to force them into our image of what they should be like instead of allowing them to be who they are created to be, the unique image and likeness that God needs in this world? I don't know about you, but I remember being yelled at for being me. I regularly was instructed to sit up straight and close my legs and cross my feet at the ankles as girls should do. I remember being yelled at for playing football. <laughs> because that's what little boys do. Well, I was good at it. <laughs> I 
hated Sunday mornings because I knew that I had to put on those hose and pull up that panty girdle because for those of you who are not of my age, panty girls think spanks. <laughs> because ladies don't jiggle. <laughs> I was forced to wear a dress. I didn't feel like me. I was who my mother wanted me to be. I felt as if I had been hit. And my personality felt as if an axe had been taken to it. I was often yelled at asking, what do you think you are doing when I operated outside of my gender? I grew up feeling sometimes as if I had done something wrong just being me. You know, I wanted to take shop class. I wanted to learn how engines worked. I wanted to learn how to use that table saw. But instead, I took home economics. Yeah, I learned to sew and crochet and embroider and how to shop for grocery and, of course, how to change diapers on a doll. <laughs> well, in a story called Yelling, Fulgham shares that in the Solomon Islands, the South Pacific, some villagers practice a unique form of logging. If a tree is too big to be felled with an axe, the people cut it down by yelling at it. Woodsmen with special powers are said that they creep up on a tree at dawn and suddenly scream at the top of their lungs. They do this for 30 days. It says that the tree dies and falls over. The theory is that the hollering kills the trees. And according to the villagers, it always works. Robert says, sticks and stones may break our bones, but words, they can break our heart.
Yeah, I know you. Wiser Idaho. Purim says, if you play a fiddle, you will know of this town of 4,000 people. He shares that this is the place where the Grand National Old Time Fiddlers Contest is held during the last, see, you know, it's the last week in June each year. Some 5,000 people descend on this town for that contest. He says the town stays open 24 hours. He says that they're fiddling in the streets and the, there's dancing at the VFW Hall, fried chicken in the Elks Lodge, and free camping at the rodeo grounds. Fiddlers and people who love them come from all over, from places as far-flung as Japan, Ireland, and Nova Scotia. He says, the contest used to be populated by country folk. You know, people with short hair, church on Sunday, overalls and gingham, that kind of folk. But then the long-haired hippie types, they began showing up. But the trouble was the hippie types knew how to fiddle. And if they knew how to fiddle, that's all there was. Fiddlers ended up having to fiddle from behind a partition so that the judges could only judge them on their performance, not on their personage. One judge, it is said, stated, son, I don't care if you are stark naked with a bone in your nose. If you can fiddle, you are all right with me. Ah, because you know, if you can fiddle, I know you. I believe that that is the larger arc of the biblical story and the challenge that we have in how we live out the Ten Commandments and for everything that we learned in kindergarten. It's about recognizing that life and death come from our words and our actions. It is important that we play fair, that we don't hit people with our hands or our words, that we say we are sorry when we hurt someone. These truths are applicable not only to our children, but to every relationship in our life. We must allow people to become who they are. We have to erase our assumptions expectations, hopes, and dreams of others and offer them a safe place to become who they are. We must let go of our ideal person and allow them to be their own selves. You see, Allison embraced her sexuality and she reconciled her past with her present and her future. Donnie went on to college, and he graduated in horticulture, got married, and now he owns a wholesale nursery business specializing in trees. And as for people, well, the villagers in the Solomon Islands have a point. Yelling at living things do tend to kill them. But as long as we are living, we still have time to try and erase 
the wounding that we may have caused in others' lives by saying, I am sorry. I am sorry I hurt you. I am sorry I tried to make you who you were not. Because in the end, as the fiddlers will tell you, it's the music we make that counts. We can murder a spirit. We can steal a soul. We can covet a life. Scripture is clear. Don't. Amen.